Hey, welcome to worship today. If you're um, part of the online campus, welcome as well. Um, this morning we're beginning a new series of messages entitled Thrive, Making Ways for Better Days. Um, first of all, I want you to notice that the lantern is on, which means that um, people gave their life to Christ through the influence of our church this week. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, not only people during the Easter weekend, but also there was a couple people throughout the course of the week that were led to the Lord individually by people in Emmanuel. One in, speci- uh, one in particular that I want to mention, and one of our preteens led her friend to the Lord this week. And so we give praise to God for that. Amen. So <clears throat> have you ever scrolled through Instagram or Facebook looking at other people's lives and thought to yourself, wow, I wish I had a house like that. I wish I went on a vacation like that. I wish my kids looked like that. I wish my marriage was like their marriage looks like on Facebook. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have actually had those thoughts rolling through your mind? The reality is, though, is that what Facebook or Instagram doesn't show are the previous 10 pictures it took to get to that one perfect picture, unless you're a part of our family. Here's a picture of our grandson, Paxton. I would like to say that this is perfect Paxton. Where is he at? There he is, perfect Paxton. Doesn't he look adorable? I took that picture. It took me several takes, but there's perfect Paxton. But let me show you who real Paxton is. Real Paxton is getting into the magic marker drawer and deciding he wanted to put a mask on and didn't understand what a mask really looks like magic marker-wise. Now, when it comes to marriage and family issues, oftentimes that's exactly the way that it is. We present to people externally who we want people to think we are in our family or in our marriage, but in reality, it's really something different. And the purpose of this series, Thrive, is to bring the real and the ideal a little bit closer together. And so this morning, I want to talk about the most important relationship in the home, and that is your marriage relationship, how to have a thriving marriage. Now, I know some of you are single, and you're thinking, this message really doesn't relate to me. Let me encourage you, it really does, because everything that I'm about to talk about in the next 20, 25 minutes, has to do with any intimate relationship that you enjoy. These principles from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, we're going to go there in just a moment, they can be applied to any intimate relationship, but specifically we're going to apply them, as the Apostle Paul does, to our marriage relationship. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 21 through 33 together. Would you stand please as we read the word of the Lord together? Now the reason why we stand when we're in church is to really say that God's word trumps everything, right? God's word is more important than what I say. God's word is more important even than what I think and what you think. 
we all have to get in our, under submission to the word of God. So, verse 21, Ephesians chapter 5. And further, the Apostle Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is called a hinge verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This controls everything else that comes. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. We are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's bow our heads together. Holy Spirit, in these next few moments, would you speak to us in a very clear and concise way about what it means to have a thriving marriage in a culture that does not value marriage as it once did. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Did you know that every marriage and every intimate relationship goes through, free, goes through three phases or three zones? They're called the ABCs of marriage. The first zone is zone A. This is the zone that is full of promise. It's also called the honeymoon stage. You, this is where you can't get enough of each other. Everything is going your way. There's just a lot of wonderful feelings. You, you want to hang out together. When Holly and I were dating in the early, you know, several months of our marriage relationship, you know, we would go to stores. Remember department stores? You know what I'm saying? Like Sears and JCPenney. We'd go and we'd go into, you know, the department that had the silverware and the bedding. And, and we'd walk around and say, now, what do you think I like? And I'd pick out silverware. Oh, that's exactly what I would have picked out. I don't know if that's true or not. But that's where it was on the honeymoon stage. And every relationship goes through a honeymoon stage. And it's really cool. And the cool thing about the honeymoon stage is, listen, there's no baggage. What makes the honeymoon stage the honeymoon stage is there's no baggage. Everything's new. Everything's fresh. And then, of course, relationships, every meaningful relationship goes into zone B. Zone A is full of promise. Zone B is full of problems. This is where you say to yourself, wow. It almost feels like he was one way before we were married, but now that we're married... Something else is coming out. And this is where we begin to feel all kinds of relational difficulties, and it becomes really, really hard 
in the zone B stage because problem after problem comes. I mean, now there's mortgage payments and now there's car payments and now there's school loans to be repaid and now there's, you know, all kinds of things start breaking in your house and then kids come along and you, you begin to realize that maybe you're not on the same page when it comes to raising children and one spouse tends to be a little bit more lax and one spouse tends to be a little bit harder and it just feels like you're opposites now. Whereas zone A in the full of promise, everything was together. Zone B, it's like everything in life is, is really conspiring to pull you apart. Now here's the key thing about zone B, full of problems. Now you have baggage. You have broken promises. You have harsh words. You have differing expectations remember everybody goes through the zone b and it's really challenging now it's at zone b that you have a choice either to go to zone c or to go to the q zone let me talk about the q zone the q zone is called the quit zone the quit zone is when you begin first of all to fantasize about being alone You begin to think, man, I can't do this anymore. I've hit the wall. This is not only not fun anymore, I, it's actually she's bringing out the worst of me. And you feel that you're the worst. And then you begin saying things like this. And, and it always begins with an inward fantasy. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be fulfilled. You know, God does but you begin to fantasize about the other person not being in the picture. And if you're not careful, you'll go from A, full of promise, B, full of problems, C, a, a Q is the quit zone, and then what you really, really want is you're fantasizing about going back to the A zone when life was better. How many of you know people who have gone from the A zone to the B zone to the Q zone, back to the A zone, the B zone, the Q zone, back to the A zone? We call that divorce and remarriage. Now, before there was Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show, there was a guy by the name of Jay Leno. Before there was Jay Leno, there was a guy by the name of who? Johnny Carson. Did you know that Johnny Carson was married four times? Interesting little fact about Johnny Carson and his four wives. Three of his wives, their names began with Jay. Jody, Joanne, Joanne, and Alexis. Spouses two and three, go home today and look it up. Spouses two and three, Joanne and Joanne, they look extremely similar. Johnny's fourth wife, Alexis, looks like a twin of his first wife, Jody. You know what Johnny Carson was doing? The A zone, the B zone, the Q zone. The A zone, the B zone, the Q zone. The A zone, the B zone, the Q zone. And the A zone, the B zone, the Q zone. And he was trying to live in full of promise. C zone. C zone is full of payoffs. This is what I can promise you. If you will get through the B zone, it may be ugly, it may be years, but if you get through the B zone, 
it is highly likely you will end up in the C zone. The C zone is the payoff, and it takes years to get there. Now, the important thing to remember is, is that you can't get to the C zone without going through the B zone. The B zone is what sets up the C zone. Oh, my goodness, that's bad news. No, it's very good news, because here's what happens in the B zone. You realize you are just as much, oh, should I say it? You are just as much as responsible for the problems in your marriage as he is. But you don't admit it to yourself for the first 25 years. You hear where I'm going with this, right? You don't get to the, Z, the, you don't get to the C zone until you've been married a pretty long time. The B zone is when you realize you're not all that. The B zone is you realize how selfish you really are. The B zone is where you realize how prideful you really are. And it takes years of living in the B zone to wear you down to the point where you can begin to be humble and say to yourself, huh, maybe I better work on me. And as you begin to work on you and stop blaming your spouse for why your marriage isn't what it should be, something beautiful happens. You begin to mellow out. And when you mellow out and you become less selfish and less self-focused and less prideful, here's what happens. When the kids leave, you go back to the A zone full of promise, but it's really the C zone. Because you've now lived through a whole bunch of history and you've dealt with your baggage. And now what's really left is, I'm not saying you never have arguments. I'm not saying you never have troubles. I'm, listen, I love it when two old people just get into a real big argument from time to time. It just lets you know they're still in love. You know what I'm saying? But they've solved like 90% of their problems. Now, here's the question this morning. This brings us back to Ephesians chapter 5. How do you live in the C-zone? How do you actually get to thriving? The Apostle Paul has a couple answers for us. He gives us three universal principles of marriage that are cross-cultural. Now, what I mean by that is, is that some come from a patriarchal culture, come, some come from a matriarchal culture. This is kingdom culture that supersedes everything. And I can make you a promise today that if you will actually work in these three principles in your marriage and any other significant relationship, I promise you, your chances of getting to the C-zone are almost guaranteed. So let's begin. What are these three principles? Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I call this the mutuality principle. This is mutual submissiveness, and it's needed in every thriving marriage. Now, here's how Holly and I are trying to work it out in our own relationship. Because we spend most of the time in the C-zone now, because Holly and I are coming up on 37 years of being married. I will not let her go, and she will not let me go. That doesn't mean we're always thinking alike. That doesn't mean we're always in agreement. That doesn't mean that there aren't days in which she'd like to strangle me. You remember uh, Billy and Ruth Graham? Ruth Graham once said, I have never once thought of divorcing Billy. Murder several times. <laughs> but never divorce. 
You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about living on cloud nine all the time. I'm talking about living in the sea zone where real life is. And it begins with mutual submissiveness. So what does this look like? First of all, in our marriage, and what the Bible says is, it begins with equality. Equality in marriage. We see each other as equals. We do not see the man here and the woman here. We actually see each other as equal partners. There's also an increased level of trust. Through the years, trust is earned. Right? Forgiveness is free, but trust is earned. Through the years, through the A, the B, and when you get to the C, you have a lifetime of trusting one another. And how it works out in our relationship is, is that I trust that Holly's better at some things than I am, and I'm better at some things than she is, and mutual submissiveness means I yield to her at the things that she's really good at, and I take advice, and I go, yep, okay. And then she yields to me at the things that I'm really good at, and we kind of created this and it looks different in every marriage by the way but we've kind of created this mutuality where we just naturally yield to one another in the areas that we complement each other in it also means mutuality means a high level of respect we watch our words we watch what we say the things that i say to holly are the same tone as i would say to everybody else or vice versa it's amazing how sweet we talk to other people outside of our family, but how harsh we can be inside of our family. It's almost like we close the doors and we become a different person sometimes. Our language just like totally changes. And we'd be embarrassed if other people stepped into our home and heard the words that we choose to say or the attitude that we choose to have. No, in mutuality, it means a high level of respect. It also means this, a high level of vulnerability. Now remember, vulnerability is something very tender, and through the years, you should be becoming more, more vulnerable with each other. So in the early years of our marriage, Holly would say things to me like this. You know, Mark, you share facts about your life, but you really don't share feelings. And then I'd get all defensive. What are you talking about? I just told you that I got gas in the car today. Yeah, but that's a fact. Mutuality means increasing vulnerability, where you don't share the facts of your life only, you share your feelings. And it takes a while to get there, but you share the real you, and you begin to unpack that. And through the years, this has been very difficult for me because I, I just really struggle with this, right? I didn't have a great emotional vocabulary. I don't think, maybe this sounds sexist, I don't think that men usually have a big like vocabulary emotionally I think women are much stronger in that area than men are and so you know I would I would be like a machine I would go from thing to thing to thing and that's part of my tendency even today I just go from thing to thing to thing to thing and I'm like a machine and when I get down to the end of the day hey how are you and Holly would feel like you know you don't even need me you're so self-sufficient <clears throat> And then I began reading a bunch of books like Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection, books that, that really began to help me to realize that I need to develop more of an emotional vocabulary. And here's what's interesting. As, as we began to be more vulnerable with each other, share the parts of us that are ugly, it's amazing in marriage how we protect ourselves from our spouse by only sharing the good things and selectively not sharing the ugly things. But as Brene Brown talks about, 
vulnerability is what brings intimacy. It's the principle of mutuality. Seeing each other as equals, respecting each other, and being vulnerable with each other. What kills mutuality is manipulation. Doing things to manipulate your spouse to get what you want. Some men do this by being over-the-top nice so that they can get sex. I've heard more than one woman say, you know, he brought me home flowers today, and I just thought, that's not a freebie. And equally, women using sex to manipulate their husbands to get what they want. Manipulation kills mutuality. Number two, second universal principle of all marriage, and that is the all-in love principle. Verses 22 through 25. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husbands is the head of the house, or the, the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Now, we're living in a culture where what I just read sounds like fighting words. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's something inside of many women right now, right now that are like, what? That sounds like leave it to beaver. That sounds like the opposite of equality. It's not. Interestingly, the word submit or submission is a different word than what we take it to be today. So the Greek word for submit means to be subject to. Well, that doesn't help us. That sounds just as bad as submit. Actually, the word to be subject to means to be dependent and rely on. That's what it means. So you know how when the minister stands before and you know their traditional wedding vows, to love and to obey? That's actually not in Scripture. Wives, if your husband wants you to do something that you don't feel comfortable doing, you don't have to obey him. But you do have to be reliant and dependent upon. So here's how it works. What this really means is the Apostle Paul is saying, don't be married, but live like you're single. There's a lot of marriages that are just like roommates with benefits. One's doing their thing, the other's doing their thing. That is not a mutually submissive relationship. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, that mutuality and the all-in principle says that we are to be submissive to one another in love. So what does that mean? There are two things. There's, what does all-in love mean? It means two things. Here's what it means in a negative sense. It is not reasonable. All-in love is never reasonable. Do not raise your hands, but how many of you have thought those who are married, how many of you have thought, man, being married to her 
being married to him, it is just so unreasonable. I mean, I have to bend over backwards. I have to serve. I have to do things that are like so unreasonable. There's something inside of us, and, it, and, and I don't know if we even articulate it, but it's almost like a 50-50. It's like, I come this far, but he better come this far. And we're always kind of measuring ourselves to see who's giving more. And because we're selfish, it's always the default. Every person in this room who is married, every person thinks that they're giving more to their marriage relationship than their spouse. And the reason why they feel that way is because we're selfish. There's always a default feeling like we're the ones that are sacrificing more. We're the ones that are serving more. I mean, for crying out loud, I did the dishes four times this week. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and we just keep tabs of all that we're doing to serve our spouse and all that we've had to give up. And I want to say to you that all in love is completely unreasonable. And you ought to lean into it and I ought to lean into it too. Because you know, you know what all in love is? It's serving like Jesus. And if you stop and think about this, there was nothing unreasonable. There was nothing reasonable about Jesus' love for us. Jesus went to the cross for us. That's not reasonable. All in love is best described as a death. A death to you, your desires, your needs, and your reasonable expectations. If you are not willing to love on an unreasonable level, don't even get married. Because marriage will bring out the worst and the best in you. But in order to get to the C-zone, you have to push yourself so far to actually die to yourself. And only when two people are dying to themselves and letting go of what's reasonable do you have a chance to get to the sea zone? It's literally like jumping out of an airplane at 35,000 feet without a parachute, hoping that the instructor behind you comes and gets you, or you're going to splat. That's why you need mutuality. Where you're trying just as hard as your spouse is trying and there's a building up of trust through the years. Listen, I know Holly has my back. And Holly knows I always have her back. And you know what all in love is? All in love is this. Every decision I make is for Holly's benefit. And every decision she makes is for my benefit. And all in love says you don't keep track. You let go of your own expectations. It's all in. Three, the unity principle. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Now, 
this scripture verse and the scripture verses we've been looking at this morning are part of an actual larger scripture passage that really begins in um, chapter 4 in the very beginning. And it, the, the subheading of chapter 4 is unity in the body of Christ. That's why we see all of this body language in this passage of scripture talking about the head. And you're kind of like, why is he using body language? Because it really comes out of chapter 4, and he's really talking about unity in the body of Christ. And he's giving a parallel to saying that just as there should be unity in the body of Christ, there should be unity in our marriage relationship, because that's actually the goal of marriage, is to be united, to be one flesh. Now, unity doesn't mean you always agree with each other. Unity does mean that you're on the same page. And in the B zone, you may have to fight to get there. But eventually you're in alignment and your values are his or her values and your priorities are his and her priorities and you don't have to worry about them taking out a credit card that you don't know about and running up a $10,000 debt because you know based on trust and respect and vulnerability and equality, you actually know that you're going in the same direction. There's a quote that I keep coming back to through the years by Elliot Sexton Fuller, and it's this. When I finally realized that all God ever wanted was a relationship where he had complete access to my entire self, my world came alive with brilliant color, and I started living instead of just existing. Now, this describes the unity that God longs for with you. The most intimate metaphor for our relationship with Christ is our marriage relationship. Now, guys, this doesn't sound cool, but the reality is, if you're a Christian, guys, you're married to Christ. Women, same thing, you're married to Christ. And maybe it's just this light bulb moment when you realize that all God ever wanted was a relationship that he had complete access to my entire self and your world becomes alive. That's all God ever wants is just complete access to you. Now, let's flip this around. Now apply this to your marriage by putting your spouse's name in this way. When I finally realized that all Holly ever wanted was a relationship where she had complete access to my entire self, my world came alive with brilliant color and I started living instead of just existing. The goal of marriage is unity. Not always agreement, but lining up. You've got her back, she's got your back all of the things I talked about with the mutuality. You're all in. It's not even a question anymore of you pursuing your own agenda by yourself. No, you actually desire on the inside to please your spouse. You don't always hit the mark. There are times in which you fail, but inside you desire to please your spouse to the best of your ability. And can you imagine a thriving relationship where unity says that I do my very best to please Holly and Holly's doing her very best to please me. How can we ever go wrong? 
And how could we ever get so far off base? We can't. Because somewhere along the way, I realized that what Holly always wanted was a relationship where she had complete access to my entire self. And that's all I ever really wanted and want from her. Now here's what I know. Holly and I are still growing to get there. We're not there. You know, I'll be like 95. My last breath on my deathbed, I love you with an all in love. I'm dead. So I'm not talking about a perfect marriage, but we're on the journey. You know what I think? I think a lot of people get so discouraged. And as I've been talking, you've been sitting there saying, oh, I wish I was loved like that. Here's what you do. This is the big takeaway. If you want to be loved unconditionally, if you want to be loved in an all-in-love way, if you want your marriage to be mutuality, where equality, mutual respect, mutual vulnerability, here's the key. Start with you first. And stop looking at what your spouse does or doesn't do. That's the best advice I could give you. Just put blinders on and say, with the help of the Holy Spirit, last week I talked about the power of, of the Holy Spirit to change your life, resurrection power, you know, to conquer your problems, to change your personality, to cancel your past. The, the thing about marriage is, is that you have to put blinders on and say, if I'm never loved the way I deserve to be loved, I will be known as the person who tried my best to be that example whether I ever got it or not. And here's what you'll discover. Your chances of getting it go way up when you take that kind of attitude. I think some of us need to die to Christ. Some of you need to die to your own expectations of what you think marriage ought to be. And you literally need to climb up on the cross and crucify yourself so that you can actually live to a brand new model of mutuality, all in love, and unity. Oftentimes when I'll um, officiate at a wedding ceremony, I'll share this poem. It's called Marriage Takes Three to Be Complete. And I want to share it with you now. It is not enough for two to meet. They must be united in love by love's creator, God above. Then their love will be firm and strong, able to last when things go wrong because they felt God's love and know he's always there. He'll never go. And they have both loved him in kind with all their heart, soul, and mind. And in that love, they found the way to love each other every day. A marriage that follows God's plan takes more than a woman and a man. It needs a oneness that can only come from Christ. Because marriage takes three. So I have a prayer for a thriving marriage. It's up on the speakers here. So after the service, when we're dismissing, feel free to pick one up. If you're single and you want to have a thriving marriage, you want to be married one day, you pick this up and you start praying this prayer. If you're a teenager and you're thinking that maybe one day you want to get married, you just come pick this up. If you're divorced and you're open to a relationship again, you just come pick this up. If you're married and you're like, wow, we're in the A zone, we don't need this prayer. Yeah, you will. Because you're going to the B zone. You will be there. If you're in the B zone and you want to go to the Q zone, you need this prayer. If you're in the C zone, you need this prayer too. Here it is. Dear Jesus, I want a marriage that thrives. Show me what I need to do to make that happen. 
You know, some of us are just asking God to change our marriage. God says, okay, let's do it together. You put your hand in, God's hand. I commit to mutuality, self-abandoning love and unity as I love my spouse. Help me to work on me instead of thinking about how my spouse needs to change. Most of all, I abandon myself to you who gave your all because you loved me. Father, today I pray for all the marriages that are part of the Emmanuel family. I pray this moment for some couple that is really seriously considering just walking away because they're hurting so badly. May this be the moment where they say, come on, we can do this with Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.